You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Hello, everybody. My name's Craig, and I'm your friend from Cross Culture. And by God's grace, he's brought me to help us understand God's word today. Um, so I've, over the past months, we've been taking in the big picture of God's plan for the world. And we've examined some stumbling blocks to our faith, like false teaching. And most recently, we've looked at what the life of faith looks like. That is to trust Jesus absolutely, to serve Jesus humbly, and to thank Jesus continually. And today we'll come to the unexpected arrival of the kingdom. And it's a big topic. At times, it's a weighty topic. So we need to pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, please fill us with your spirit to receive your word and to believe in your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So there's two times that I've been overseas in France and in the United States, and each time I've come back to Australia, the same feeling has come over me. The feeling of familiar, familiarity, the feeling of enjoying material comfort and enjoying pleasurable pursuits, this feeling of she'll be right. And I'm talking about complacency. It's one of the most consistent critiques I've heard of Australian culture. And it's not just an issue for people who were born here. People who come to Australia often come for the lifestyle, for the professional opportunity, for family prosperity. And these are good things. These are desirable things. But when we're complacent in them, and when they become our all-consuming reality, we, we can lose sight of God. We lose sight of our complete need for him and we neglect the reality of God's eternal future. The word today will show us the defining moment of this future, the day when Jesus comes back into his world in a spectacular way, unlike anything we've seen before. Maybe we don't really believe that Jesus will come back, because after all, we haven't seen him for 2,000 years and day-to-day -day life is just ticking along as normal and it doesn't look likely it'll change any day soon. But more than that, more than that, maybe we don't want it to change because you like the way things are. You like doing what you're doing. And this is exactly the reality that Jesus will speak to us today about before he breaks back into his world, before the kingdom of God comes when we least expect it and transforms life as we know it. We need to know about the unexpected arrival of the kingdom because we need to be ready. So let's find out about it. Sorry, I just need to adjust this. Okay, so turning to our passage, we see that there's a long-awaited desire for the kingdom of God. 
because the Israelites of Jesus' day for wait, were waiting for this day of the Lord, this day when God's Messiah would come to judge the nations who were oppressing them and to deliver them into God's everlasting kingdom. And we see this expectation when the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? But as we might guess, Jesus doesn't answer them in a way that they'd expect. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom won't have heavenly signs signaling its coming or signaling its coming in advance as the Pharisees were expecting. Neither is it something that will only come sometime in the distant future, nor is it some abstract concept that will just never materialize. Jesus says the kingdom is in the midst of you. It's a present reality. He doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is found within you, as though you discover it by looking within your own heart, because that would mean that the unbelieving Pharisees have the kingdom inside of them. Instead, Jesus means that the kingdom is in their midst by his presence among them. The kingdom of God has come in the person and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the king of the United, king, United Kingdom coming to us as head of his realm to show us its priorities and to advance its work. Though the authority and power of King Charles is far more limited than how Jesus' authority and power will impact us. And after telling the Pharisees about this present reality of the kingdom, Jesus now turns to his disciples and says, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. So the Son of Man refers to this figure from the book of Daniel, and here the Son of Man comes from heaven, and God gives him glory and authority over an eternal kingdom of all peoples. And the New Testament shows that Jesus is himself this figure, the Christ who will come with his kingdom. But though his disciples would long for this day, they wouldn't see it. Though they'd go on to endure an extended period of persecution, though they'd long for the Messiah to return and deliver them, they wouldn't see it. And in their longing for rescue, in their longing for respite, the disciples will be vulnerable. They'll be vulnerable to being misled. And Jesus says, they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go or follow them. Jesus warns his disciples and us, don't be fooled by people saying they've seen the Messiah and don't follow them. Jesus' coming will be obvious for all to see. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Now this literally means he'll come like lightning, lighting up the sky from one end under heaven to the other end under heaven. Jesus won't come in secret. 
He won't need to be discovered and we won't need someone else to identify him for us. Though no one will foresee it, his coming in his glory will be so spectacular that everyone will see it at once. Jesus, he doesn't give a timetable for his return. Yet there's one thing that must happen before he comes in glory. He says one thing must happen. First, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So here the prediction of Jesus' passion, that's his death on the cross, is connected with this end of time prediction of his coming and his kingdom. For Jesus, the path of sacrificial suffering was the path to glory. And it's the same for us as his disciples. It means we can't emphasize triumph at the expense of costly discipleship. And nor can we emphasize costly discipleship at the expense of ultimate glory. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus entered his glory and he will return to bring the fullness of his kingdom. And this gives hope for all of Jesus' followers, including us, including me and including you. By following Jesus now, through sacrifice and through our suffering, we will receive glorious life in his kingdom when he returns. And we won't miss it. We won't miss it. And yet, we're faced with this predicament of our human condition. If the kingdom of God has come among us in the person and the works of its King, Jesus, and if Jesus will return at an unexpected time in the future, then why don't we get ready for his coming? Because throughout history, there's been this complacency in humankind. On one hand, we celebrate our own activity. And on the other hand, we're indifferent to God's activity. And if we follow this to its end, it's to our great and terrible detriment. Jesus addresses this issue when he says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. The people of Noah's time, they were willfully sinful, like our generation. And God grieved humanity's evil hearts and wicked acts. But the thing is, that isn't Jesus' point here. There's nothing sinful about the activity that he describes. People are enjoying their food. They're getting married. They're going about their normal daily lives. But they were so taken up in their own activity that they were oblivious to God's coming judgment until it was too late. Until it was too late. And in one regard, this is like being home alone when we're teenagers. I can just remember back to this time while our parents were away for the weekend. Maybe you invite some friends over. You get the popcorn. You get the bottles of fizzy drink non-alcoholic or otherwise, and you start watching a movie. And it's great, but then before you know it, there's shoes and scuff marks all over the house. 
someone spilled their red drink on the carpet and there's popcorn all in between the cushions and you wonder what will you do? Will you just keep watching the movie indifferent to your parents return? Or do you clean it up out of fear for your parents wrath? Depending on whether you care or not will impact what you do in the meantime. And because Jesus knows the coming judgment is a matter of eternal life and death, he warns us again. And this time he uses the example of Lot and the city of Sodom. He says, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Like the generation of Noah, the generation of Lot was depraved in their heart and in their actions. They were violent, abusive, and sexually immoral. But again, that's not Jesus' point here. Instead, he recalls them as a generation just going about their daily business, completely oblivious to God's coming judgment. The theologian James Edwards sums it up in this way. He says, They were attentive to daily business as though it would last forever and neglectful of eternity as though it would never come. They were attentive to daily business as though it would last forever and neglectful of eternity as though it would never come. And due to the people's sin, God's punishment was completely just. Neither Noah nor Lot was perfectly virtuous, neither was perfectly righteous, and sometimes they were dubious in their behaviour, and especially in Lot's case, just plain despicable at times. But the thing is that each one believed God, each one heeded his warning and were saved. And so now God has declared Jesus his king who will execute his judgment on sin. Jesus is declared king who will execute his judgment on sin. So don't be like these generations who rejected God and were indifferent to his judgment. But believe in Jesus and heed his warning to us. Because all who put their lives in his hands will find mercy. Because Jesus has taken our sin and the punishment that we deserve upon himself. Yet all who reject his word will meet just condemnation for their willful sin. Jesus has warned us to be ready for his glorious, his fearsome return. And now he'll show us the need for sacrificial devotion to his kingdom. Sacrificial devotion for his kingdom. He says about the day when he comes, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. When, when Lot's wife fled Sodom, 
with fire and sulfur raining down upon it, she disobeyed God's warning and turned back to look at the city. She turned back to look at her old life and as a result, she turned into a pillar of salt. Now this event became proverbial in Israel for disobedience and unbelief. The thing is, it may seem natural when there's an emergency to turn back to get your most valuable possessions. But when Jesus returns on the day of judgment, we're warned against going back to get them. Because firstly, they won't be of any use, but will hinder you from going to Jesus. And secondly, when he arrives, it'll be too late to prepare for his coming. It'll be too late then. It's akin to a house fire. When the fire is blazing like that on the screen, when the walls are alight and the ceiling is just caving in, you don't go back in to get your valuables because they'll hinder you from escaping and those who return for them, they often never come back out. Instead, what do you do? You flee to safety. You flee to safety. And here Jesus tells us the principle and the paradox of life in his kingdom. He says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. Now Jesus says this in the context of this great and terrible day of his return. It doesn't just mean to give up your life for anything or for nothing. But it means sacrificing your life and possessions in this world so you may go without hindrance and wholeheartedly to Jesus when he returns. But Jesus, he's not advocating for some end of time repentance after a lifetime of selfishness or pride. But instead, he shows us the continued cost of being his disciple. As he said previously in the Gospels, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So I ask, are you prepared to give up being master of your life and to entrust it to Jesus as Lord, as your Lord? Are you prepared to sacrifice your life in this world in order to gain life in his kingdom? For when it comes, one will be taken and the other left, even among the closest family and co-workers. Now, it's hard to know what Jesus means by this. The thing is, do we want to be the one that's taken or the one that's left? But when we look at the scripture that comes before it, Noah was taken to safety in the ark when the world was flooded. Lot was taken out of Sodom when it was destroyed by fire. And elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes that when the Lord returns, those who are alive will be caught up to meet him. So Jesus is illustrating a separation of the righteous from the unrighteous on the day of judgment. There will be those who are left in condemnation and there are those who will be taken into deliverance. Now, the disciples, they want to know when this will all take place or where this will all take place. They ask, where, Lord? It's a pretty natural request. But they haven't taken the cue from the Pharisees' question. 
Jesus didn't provide a timeline for the coming of his kingdom, and neither will he provide a map for where all this will take place. And instead, Jesus gives this enigmatic response. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. It's a grim, proverbial warning about the day of the Lord. The night of judgment will be devastating for those who reject Jesus' salvation and are unprepared for his return. Once the separation occurs, there'll be no turning back. Once judgment is rendered, it's final and the vultures will gather around to devour the corpses. We don't need to work out where this will happen, for when it comes, all will see his judgment in its terrible finality. Many have given up Jesus and his kingdom for the sake of what they're doing what they want to do in this life. But others will sacrifice their earthly life in order to be devoted to Jesus and his kingdom. What will you sacrifice? What will you sacrifice? What will we sacrifice? And what shall we do then before such a terrible and great warning? When we've endured long periods of frustration and suffering, when we're tired and want respite, when we want something greater than the reality that we're currently experiencing, we're at risk of going after people or things that we think will satisfy us. So Jesus warns us to guard against going after false messiahs. Perhaps most dangerous is going after subtle, false hopes, which promise fulfillment apart from the Lord Jesus. Maybe you believe your major problems will be solved when you marry your wife or your husband. Or you think you'll find contentment when you secure your career. Maybe you believe the lie that to have true happiness in life, you need only look within yourself and follow your heart. Or you find solace in affirming that you are enough. You are enough for any circumstance in life now and for the future. But all these things are going after false messiahs. They're turning good things into idols and they're trusting ourselves as gods. All these things lead us away from the true king and his eternal kingdom. And to do so is to be led into eternal hell. We must guard against false messiahs promising deliverance. For Jesus alone died on the cross to provide forgiveness for your sin. Only his resurrection ensures your future resurrection into eternal life. So trust Jesus and the salvation that he secured for you. Trust Jesus and the salvation that he secured for you. And when he comes in his kingdom, he'll bring the mercy and the compassion that you long for. He'll bring the peace and the justice that you cry out for. And he'll bring 
the fulfillment and satisfaction that you desire in Him. In Him. Which brings us to our second application. The Lord will come when we don't expect it. So we need to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? We need to go about our daily business knowing this temporary world will pass away when the eternal kingdom will come in its fullness. Believing that Jesus will come any day will shape what you do today and every day. And remember, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will keep it. So unlike complacent, self-seeking generations who reject Jesus as their Lord, be ready for his return with, whole, with wholehearted devotion to him. And let him find you doing the things of the king. What does this involve? This involves believing Jesus and knowing him. This involves sacrificing our, sac our selfish will for the sake of doing his will. This involves loving others with the compassion that Jesus himself has shown you. And this involves making disciples and telling others the good news of his death and resurrection and return. So be ready for the unexpected arrival of the kingdom with, wholeheart with wholehearted devotion to its king, Jesus. The whole story of redemption leads to the time when Jesus delivers people from every nation to live with God in his eternal kingdom, under his rule and blessing, in the new heaven and earth. We look forward to this day. Is God's greatest desire for your life. It's for your greatest good and your joy. And it's all for God's glory. So if it's of such supreme importance then let's pray. Let's pray for God's kingdom to come. And in doing so, we submit ourselves to Jesus as our Lord. Our heart and our mind are aligned with God's eternal will. And our lives are orientated towards our highest good. Our highest good, which is God himself and his glory. God has chosen to include us. And to incorporate our prayers in the coming of his kingdom. So if we pray for his kingdom to come, then we know that this prayer will be answered. So please join with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.